Chapter 9 Jesus Moves into the World It is now the summer of the year 50. We have to expand the map a little bit and we enter into uh, what we commonly re refer to as Paul's second missionary journey. Now, Paul and Barnabas have a plan. Uh, they've been in uh, Antioch for uh, about a year. Uh, the whole incident with the Jerusalem Council and solving the issue of the Jewish-Gentile church and what's expected has been, has been gone through. And Paul and Barnabas want to revisit the churches uh, in the areas where they'd visited before and started churches in Asia Minor. Uh, they have a falling out over John Mark. Barnabas wants to take his nephew John Mark with them on the journey, and Paul refuses, saying John Mark had abandoned them the first time and was unreliable. And uh, So Paul goes off uh, with Silas. Now Silas has been a member of the Jerusalem church for 20 years now. He's a, he's a well-established uh, person, uh, well-trusted in the area, and he becomes Paul's missionary partner. They want to visit the, uh, the churches that Paul had planted previously and bring with them the letter from Jerusalem to make sure the churches understand what had been decided, what the vision of God is for the church going forward, the relationship between the Jewish and the Gentile believers and how that should be handled. And so uh, they, go, they start on foot to travel through these areas once again. Traveling by land, they find the churches in Galatia had survived. Uh, they, they find that they, they had come through the crisis uh, of the Judaizers and the Gentile uh, whole thing. And, uh, and they, they'd proven themselves to be made of gold, silver, and precious stones. And so this is, uh, this is uh, encouraging to Paul. Uh, encouraging to Silas to see these churches have survived and are still going strong. An interesting note along this journey is that when they visit Lystra, if you remember, this is the primitive town where Paul and Barnabas had been mistaken for as gods, uh, and Timothy, a young man, probably a teenager in their first journey, had had been there. And when they visit Lystra this time around, they find that Timothy despite his young age, had stood strong against the Judaizers and argued uh, for the message of Paul. And uh, he'd been noticed by the churches in the area as a, as a very promising young man. The local believers recommended him to Paul and Silas. And so Timothy then joins Paul and Silas in their, in their journeys as an apprentice uh, to be mentored into the ministry by Paul. Now, Timothy becomes a spiritual giant even in New Testament times, but we know from, from writings uh, post-New Testament times that, that Timothy remains a strong leader uh, in that period after the original, um, the original apostles had passed away or been martyred. And um, he had a, had a role in, in mentoring some of the men that later in the history books become known as the Church Fathers. And so very important here uh, to notice that, that uh, Timothy joins them. Uh, they bring the letter from Jerusalem to all of these churches, and uh, then they, they, they want to go on from there. Uh, for some reason, which, um, which we're not really 
know too many details on. The Holy Spirit prevents them from going into Asia. Uh, if you look on your map, they're the area around Ephesus. And so they travel instead around that area through the, uh, through the more, more wilderness areas and make their way to Troas. As they travel to Troas, uh, Paul has a dream where a man is calling him to go to Macedonia. That would be uh, into the Greek area and the, the, the European area there. And so uh, from Troas, they set out to go into Macedonia and enter the Greek-speaking world. Uh, they pick up in Troas, or they find in Troas, a man who we've met before in Antioch, and his name is Luke, and he's an itinerant uh, Gentile physician who uh, has, for reasons unknown to us at this point, uh, traveled to Troas and is, is seeking to uh, make a living there as a doctor. But uh, Paul and Silas and Timothy... Uh, uh, convince or somehow Luke joins them and there's a there's probably a good reason for that uh, I'm just speculating here but but Luke is Greek and so uh, if they're moving into the Greek speaking areas it would be good to have someone along who is fluent in the culture and the language and the the things there and so with Luke with them now they go they take passage on a boat and travel across uh, to the Aegean Sea to uh, Nicot Nipos, and then um, and then from there they take the great Roman road, uh, the road that leads all the way to Rome, but they take it just 13 miles inland to Philippi. And Philippi is a military garrison, so it's a it's a town that is that is uh, set up uh, to station the Roman military in that area. Uh, many of the cities around here are independent. In other words, they're not literally overtaken or ruled by Rome. They have treaties with Rome. And so Rome wanted wants a military garrison in the area so that they can very quickly deploy to these places that aren't directly under their control if something happens that they need to uh, take care of. And so in Philippi, uh, there doesn't seem to be any synagogues in the city. It's probably a fairly young city. And mostly uh, the economy is, is uh, centered around the, the military outpost there. And so uh, when Paul and Silas and Luke and Timothy arrive in Philippi, they meet some God-fearing women alongside the river. One of them, his, her name is Lydia. She's a prominent woman, a wealthy merchant, originally from Thyatira. But, but she's here uh, making a living, uh, trading her, her, her textiles in Philippi. It's probably an opportunity for her uh, with the military garrison there to make a, a good living. And Lydia becomes the first convert to Christianity uh, from Paul's ministry in Europe. Uh, they spend many days in Philippi unnoticed, uh, just discipling the believers and expanding the church and teaching the new believers how to meet together and express the life of Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit in their in their area. And uh, it's an effective ministry. A strong church is set up there. But then uh, at some point in time, uh, Paul, uh, through different experiences you can read about in the book of Acts, casts a demon out of a young slave girl. And uh, as a result of that, the owner of the young girl is unable to make a living or make an income from her. And so that, that, that incident uh, 
builds and precipitates a riot in Philippi. During this riot, Paul is unable to uh, plead his case as a Roman citizen because there's a, a, a riot going on. And Paul and Silas are beaten and put in prison. Uh, during the night, uh, I think you know the story, they, they're singing praises to God in the prison. And uh, there's an earthquake and they're set free. And, uh, but they don't escape and apparently none of the other prisoners escape either. And the jailer and his family and his household is converted and join the Christian community on that night. Uh, the jailer and probably Luke and Silas, who were not in prison, and the other believers have a plan that Paul and Silas can quietly leave the city uh, and escape. But Paul insists that as a Roman citizen, he deserves a, an apology, and he makes his appeal. And in fact, the, the rulers or the governors in that city uh, are appalled that they had beaten, allowed a a Roman citizen to be beaten without trial. And so uh, when Paul and Silas leave the city, they are publicly escorted and honored as they leave to just show all the citizens that despite the riot, these are not men to be, um, to be ostracized. So they leave Philippi, uh, the beginnings of a strong Christian community there, and Luke stays behind in Philippi at this point in time. And so now there is a church in the year 50, uh, planted in Philippi, uh, centered around a group of God-fearing women and two and a couple of the people of prominence there are Eudia, a woman, and a man named Clement who come up later in uh, Paul's greetings and letters after that. And so from Philippi, they travel overland to Thessalonica. It's 90 miles uh, southwest. It's one of the largest cities in the region. It's estimated to be uh, 200,000 people at the time, which is absolutely massive for the ancient world. And this is a free Greek city. So in other words, uh, the, the, the rulers or the political system of this city has made a treaty with Rome so that the Roman troops don't police the city. They don't have influence there as long as they keep the peace and pay their tributes to Rome. It's a free city. It's a Greek city. It's the capital of the region. And it's a very diverse city. People uh, from all over the world are living here. There's Greeks, there's Romans, there's people from Africa, from Asia. Uh, there's many Jews here. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's just a metropolitan uh, city in every sense of the word. Uh, one of the unique characteristics of Thessalonica is that in this area, the women are noted for their independence. In much of the Roman world, women don't have much influence, but in the Thessalonican culture, with the, uh, with the priestesses having a major role in the cultural heritage of the city, uh, women are, are very much in prominence. There's many leading women in this area. Uh, in Thessalonica, for three consecutive Sabbaths, uh, Paul and Silas and the others uh, and Timothy visit the synagogues, and some of the Jews become believers in Jesus Christ and the New Covenant. And many of the God-fearing Greeks, including many leading women of the city, uh, believe in Jesus Christ and a church is born there. One of the uh, people that becomes a Christian during this time is a man named Jason. And uh, the church, the group of believers, meets in Jason's home. Uh, many things happen. The people give up their idolatry. They stop their fornication, which is a broad word, meaning all kinds of different uh, um, illicit behaviors. And uh, there's a transformation happening uh, among God's people, the people who are becoming God's people here in Thessalonica. 
And um, during this time uh, in Thessalonica, Paul runs out of money. And so he takes out his tools. He doesn't want the local church that he's starting to have the burden of paying for him as his ministry. So he takes out his tools and begins uh, working as a tent maker, which significantly slows down the ministry. When the church in Philippi, which is again a little bit more of a wealthier church, uh, hears that Paul has had to take up his tools and, and uh, make tents, uh, they, they send a donation to, to Paul and he receives this gift and is able to once again put his full-time efforts into the ministry. And the church uh, grows among the Jews and the Gentiles in Philippi. But once again, over time, the Jews in the area become jealous of Paul. Uh, Paul is preaching the kingdom of God. And so they manage to get him into trouble, uh, saying that he's, he's causing people to reject Caesar as king, and take on a different king. And being an independent city, this is this is a hot political topic because if anyone, if there's any rumors of a king other than Caesar in an independent city, the Romans will come down hard on that. And so the ministry continues despite the tension, but eventually the Jews are able to stir up a mob. Uh, the mob doesn't find Paul and Silas, but instead they drag Jason, uh, the, the man who's in whose home the church meets, out to the courts uh, no evidence is found to convict Jason, uh, but Paul and Silas decide to leave at night uh, to avoid further tension, and Timothy stays behind to continue to teach and guide the new church a little bit. But now the body of Jesus Christ, the expression of God's goodness and grace and mercy and love, exists in Thessalonica. And uh, there's three distinguished members here that come up later on in Paul's letters, Articus, uh, Scandias, and Demas. I have no idea how to say their names, but that's how I will say them today. From Thessalonica, they move on a little bit up into the mountains to a place called Berea. Now, Berea is, uh, is a very different kind of community. It's an ancient town. Not a large town, but an ancient town. Uh, the people there are still living according to the ancient Greek city-state kind of arrangement where, where slavery has not come in at all. Uh, the land is arranged into large uh, family estates where the family provides the labor in the fertile farming region. Uh, they probably provide most of the food for Thessalonica. And so they're, they're well-off, high levels of literacy, a very stable kind of culture, farming communities. Uh, they go there. Timothy joins them at some point. They go again to the synagogue. The people there eagerly hear the message of Jesus Christ with little opposition. Many believe, uh, and a church is planted. Again, not being able to leave well enough alone, the Jews uh, from Thessalonica travel up to Berea, and they stir up the crowds against the church. In order to avoid uh, this uprising, Paul is put on a ship, and sent uh, down to Athens. Uh, at this time, um, Silas and Timothy stay behind in Berea to continue to build up the church. And when Paul finally gets to Athens, he sends word that he's got there safely, and at their convenience, they should come and join him. And so eventually, Paul, uh, Silas and Timothy do join Paul in Athens. 
Now in Athens, it's very different again, and it's very important when we think about the letters that Paul writes uh, that are coming up here in this story before too long, that each of these communities is, uh, is culturally and, and ethnically and, and uh, geographically very different. Uh, Athens is, is a prominent city in terms of philosophy. There's many idols. It's an independent city again, and it's the, it's the seat of Greek philosophy. Uh, many people are intrigued by Paul's message. He adjusts the message to fit the culture. He doesn't talk about the Old Testament as he does in the synagogues, but he talks about creation and, and, and how Jesus Christ is the answer to the problems from creation and the fall. And, uh, and he, he attaches this to the unknown God. You, you might know the story. But the people are intrigued and they talk and debate with Paul, but but they don't come over to this side. It seems like the people in Athens are very happy to entertain all kinds of ideas and explore them and debate them back and forth, but never really become committed to any one idea. And so uh, Silas and Timothy join Paul there in Athens, and because the ministry is entirely fruitless, to our knowledge, no church is planted, um, they move on uh, before too long, and they move on, in this case, to Corinth. Paul leaves Athens uh, dejected and discouraged. Uh, it's been a hard road. The churches way back in Asia Minor were encouraging, but since then he's been he's been uh, violently thrown out of every town and every place he's started. Uh, he's been rejected again and again. Uh, the churches have been planted, which is encouraging, but then in Athens nothing happened, and he travels to Corinth. Uh, without money, without success, and feeling feeling a bit down. But when he gets to Corinth, uh, he meets Aquila and Priscilla. You remember, this is the Jewish couple who were expelled from Rome and had settled in Corinth, and they, like Paul, are tent makers. They have the same profession. And so Paul joins up with Aquila and Priscilla in their business and begins to, uh, to make tents there in Corinth. Uh, it seems that uh, possibly the Isthmian Games, I don't know how to say it, the precursors of the Olympic Games are, are happening at that time. And so the city is full of people from all over the Roman Empire. And of course, people who traveled a long distance to participate in this event uh, would have need of repairs in their equipment. And so business uh, seems good. Uh, Silas and Timothy join Paul in Corinth. Uh, they, they miss Athens, but they get to him, catch up to him in Corinth. Uh, Philippi has once again sent a gift along so Paul can stop working with his hands and devote himself fully to the work of the church. And we're going to leave Paul there in Corinth uh, for chapter 9.